Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A-Rex? Well, I am a true renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years, I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of Rex. Hello, everybody. It's Marvel A. Rex. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I love each and every one of you. It is official. We are in the belly of the dragon. These are moments of faded change points. So how are you doing? I can say from my side that... Some surprising phone calls, emails, texts, what have you, events have happened in my life. And many of them have been very pleasant, which I appreciate, some of which have been more challenging. So I think that, you know, take a survey of your life right now, and I would take a a bet that in the last two weeks you've had some changes, some realizations, and some things that you're already having to adjust around. This is all normal. This is a very highlighted, hot point of the year all the way until really the early part of June. So take really good care of yourself right now. I will forever be a broken record and say that it is important to take very good care of the body, to do things that help regulate your nervous system, drink lots of water, eat well, uh, nourishing foods, and remember to breathe, be in nature. This is a profound period of time to just be out in nature and keep things really, really simple the way that nature does. I highly recommend being around trees and birds and things like that. New beginnings are here. So this past Saturday, April 30th, we had a really hypercharged new moon. And this brings surprising new beginnings because Uranus is involved, the planet of surprise, and invitations to grow in new ways that are sustainable. That's the key word. Also, simplicity. I'm going to just double down. Simplicity and sustainability are the key words for this magical time that we are in. I'm going to try to be brief here because I'm on with Madison Renee Knapp talking about religion, which is a very powerful tool to be using right now to ground yourself, which is just, I I use the term religion, but I really mean spirituality um, on a deeper level. Ways in which you can suspend your ego's dominance and your personality's dominance, and just believe that there's actually a lot more going on that is ineffable. Trusting, surrendering, and believing that there are many, many expansive opportunities in life that the brain cannot know in and of itself. So we're going to be talking about that. So I'm going to try to keep my my opening statements brief. 
and I'm going to be a little Saturnian. So for all of you who know what that means, it's kind of like big boss daddy energy. So I'm going to be bringing some boss daddy energy today because I think it's time. We're in the belly of the beast. It's a confusing place to be. And I'm not going to be doom and gloom about it, but I'm also going to be in this moment a little sober. This is also directly uh, impacting my Saturn in my chart. So I'm going to just channel the thing that it's directly impacting in honor of. So this period of time from now, I mean, this week, this is the week of, I forgot to say that at the top of the episode, but this is the week of May 2nd to May 8th, okay? We are in the belly of the beast. The initial uh, flash of energy has happened. The opening portal has happened, and the closing portal will happen May 15th, but really we will be feeling the effects and ramifications of the positive and negative changes that have happened for the entire month of May. So... What is the what is what's important to know right now? This is a really profound period of time to prove yourself to yourself. This is not a time to be proving yourself to other people. This is such a powerful period of time in the belly of the dragon to prove yourself to yourself. I'll say it again. Dedicated reparenting and dedicated self-building is encouraged during this period of time. It's so important to especially in the first this first week of may this first true week of may to really focus on being your own parent and your own child in your own body and i'm going to elaborate on this um, from a really interesting point of view an economics point of view because that's also the energy right now is the economy yeah it's that's being highlighted but it's essential like if you're doing anything during may it's time to focus in on yourself and not be focused in on trying to control other people or control dynamics with other people or control relationships. This is a month and a week, especially leading up to that May 15th full moon, which is going to be a doozy. Prepare yourself uh, to take away that ego desire to control another person or dynamic and really focus in on yourself. I'm going to give some examples from my life. I've had some really amazing opportunities to do just out of the blue. This is classic. What I said, it was going to be a surprise. I got some surprise phone calls that were asking me very directly to engage in some networked activities around uh, improving myself and learning from other people. So I got a few opportunities to do that. And it was in conflict with my intimate partnerships. And I just took some time to think about it and then relay in a calm way to my intimate partnerships I need to do this thing for myself because this is about bettering myself it's not even a it's it's a healthy selfishness I'm choosing to do something that is going to be empowering to me and ultimately empowering to the world now if I was going to do something that was selfish and and just taking for the self alone and not about engaging with community or learning from other people or self-improving then that would be not the thing to do what I did was I was like okay this is for my self-improvement so when you have opportunities popping in to better yourself and to ultimately be a citizen of the world, that these are the yes points right now. The no points, and I'm going to be really clear here, the no points during this first week of May is surround wanting to control relationships or outcomes, specifically relationships, specifically intimate, close relationships, um, often revolving around money or resources. 
if it is possible, and I know that sometimes it's not possible, but if it is possible to slowly approach these dynamics and even create space in these first couple days of May, that would be my recommendation, slowing down, simplifying, and not trying to control or fix. Having conversations and even creating structure around conversations that allow for things to happen in a more... Um, a, a slower pace because this is a, this is a time of slower pace and doing things methodically and structured and in a structured way. So again, I, I mentioned parenting, self-parenting, being the parent and the child, being the student and the teacher for yourself right now. This involves setting boundaries for yourself and honoring those boundaries, right? This is the, the give and the take, being your own child and your own parent. It's essential. Every act you do is out of love, for that inner child, and it is also in honor of that inner adult or that outer adult. On a global scale, just to give you a little bit more context, the energy right now that's going to be majorly highlighted has to do around physical resources, sustainability, and economics. This, this is a grand shift happening in uh, global markets and the structure of capitalism itself, especially highlighted in the USA. Be prepared around this time to hear news around global markets, etc. Ideas around wealth distribution, ideas around money as a concept and money as a reality. And it'll be probably surprising. There will be surprising elements involved. Now on that note, I want us to think a little bit about, I've been studying, um, in honor of this time, I have been studying uh, late capitalism. Uh, Madison and I will talk a little bit about uh, a book that I'm reading right now called Post-Capitalist Desire by Mark Fisher. I highly recommend. It's actually just a... Uh, lecture that he gave before he died. And um, there's a question in here that I want to pose to you in this book. It says, how do we become a universal educated individual or a networked person? So I'm, I'm going to pose that to you and you're like, what, what are you talking about? It's about how do you actually develop consciousness around the fact that you have to educate yourself around so many different things. And it can be overwhelming, but there's a duty for us to educate ourselves in all different viewpoints and really like do it in a way that is honoring of all the different viewpoints. So I do an interesting thing. I, I will queue up a bunch of different um, either movies or TV shows or things, mostly documentaries and, and uh, even reality TV shows. Like it's a myriad of things. I'll give you an example. Like I'll watch the Kardashians, which I've never watched the keeping up with them, but I have now watched the ABC special, uh, <laughs> but I'll watch like the Kardashians. And then right after that, I'll watch like a pseudo documentary called don't kill the meme and, or don't kill meme. And, uh, then I'll watch like, you know, uh, a documentary around the source family. Like I will watch all these different sort of really like changing and flipping, uh, channel flipping big time into these different reality tunnels. But I'm always, doing it with a sense of honor for each one and I'm looking at the red thread and there's always like interesting connections and interesting realities that are really macro and I'm a macro guy so I, I love this kind of stuff but the idea around becoming a universal educated individual or a networked person is actually anti-capitalist or how, how should I say a way to destroy our way through late capitalism I'm going to say that one more time Becoming a networked person or a universally educated individual is a way to destroy our way through late capitalism. And why do I say this? So I'm going to share some ideas from Paul Mason that I love. He talks about the emergence of information and of knowledge-based goods. He calls them info goods, okay, which he says operate by a principle of non-rivalry. So what does that mean? 
if I have an education, I'm not taking away from your education. But if I have, like, let's say, if we value that the fact that I have right now a pen that you don't have, it's a physical object, you're like, I don't have that pen, I want Marvel's pen. Well, okay, that, that's capitalism. That's how capitalism works. It creates this level of, of rivalry. Like, I don't get to have what you have. It's all very physical. Paul Mason's idea is that we're moving into a place of info goods where we will value info goods more than physical goods. Or we will value the acquisition of information and knowledge and wisdom and spiritual wisdom over the physical 2D and 3D realms, right? And the cool thing about info goods is that I don't, you don't lose anything by the fact that I've got information, right? It's contradictory to capitalism. It's a basic law of a basic law of economics or of capitalist economics is that everything is scarce when it when it really isn't at this point, and the idea of of honoring digital anything or honoring uh, ideas that are ethereal or or metaphysical is that there is no competition inherently. Like the fact that I know two plus two equals four doesn't take away from the fact that you know two plus two equals four. We both know it. Or if you need to learn it, you're learning it. You know, I, my knowledge of it doesn't take it take away from your knowledge of it. So this dedication to knowing things, to knowing all sorts of things is so powerful right now. And I was moved to literal tears when I heard Senator, Michigan Senator Mallory McMorrow talk about critical race theory and um, LGBTQ rights across the nation in the education system specifically. And I'm going to actually include the clip here of her talking about it. So please take a listen to Michigan Senator Mallory McMorrow, and she is taking full accountability for who she is and the importance of knowledge and how that knowledge doesn't take away from other people. It actually adds to us being a more integrated, more intimate and compassionate body of people. Take a listen. Thank you, Mr. President. I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd district had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of, quote, parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. So then what? Then you dehumanize and marginalize me. You say that I'm one of them. You say she's a groomer, she supports pedophilia, she wants children to believe that they were responsible for slavery and to feel bad about themselves because they're white. Well, here's a little bit of background about who I really am. Growing up, my family was very active in our church. I sang in the choir. My mom taught CCD. One day, our priest called a meeting with my mom and told her that she was not living up to the church's expectations and that she was disappointing. My mom asked why. Among other reasons, she was told it was because she was divorced and because the priest didn't see her at mass every Sunday. So where was my mom on Sundays? She was at the soup kitchen with me. My mom taught me at a very young age that Christianity and faith was about being part of a community, about recognizing our privilege and blessings and doing what we can to be of service to others, especially people who are marginalized, targeted, and who had less 
often unfairly. I learned that service was far more important than performative nonsense like being seen in the same pew every Sunday or writing Christian in your Twitter bio and using that as a shield to target and marginalize already marginalized people. I also stand on the shoulders of people like Father Ted Hesburgh, the longtime president of the University of Notre Dame, who was active in the civil rights movement, who recognized his power and privilege as a white man, a faith leader, and the head of an influential and well-respected institution, and who saw black people in this country being targeted and discriminated against and beaten and reached out to lock arms with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive, when it was unpopular and risky, and marching alongside them to say, we've got you to offer protection and service and allyship to try to right the wrongs and fix injustice in the world. So who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. No child alive today is responsible for slavery. No one in this room is responsible for slavery. But each and every single one of us bears responsibility for writing the next chapter of history. Each and every single one of us decides what happens next and how we respond to history and the world around us. We are not responsible for the past. We also cannot change the past. We can't pretend that it didn't happen or deny people their very right to exist. I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment or that healthcare costs are too high or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. So I want to be very clear right now. Call me whatever you want. I hope you brought in a few dollars. I hope it made you sleep good last night. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. That is Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow. Wow talk about an impassioned speech. I am blown away. It's important to hear her anger. Her anger is so powerful here. And it speaks to her understanding and her confidence within her positionality and how she knows that in that confidence, she can then help other people expand their mind. And she's angry. I mean, rightfully so, because so many people are deep in tunnel vision, mostly due to fear. Part of having curiosity for other people is suspending fear or working through fear. So that's some of the energy that we really need to be taking you know, into account right now. We need to be honoring the fact that it is our duty to be an accountable, a self-accountable, a self-responsible 
individual. And this period of time offers us the opportunity to stand up for ourselves in a really powerful way, but not in a way that is shutting other people down. It's in a way of being like, you know what, I'm going to expand my mind right now. Some of the ways we can do that is by being creative and by really being in the flow state, in a meditative state, and in a contemplative state. So the areas in which you can engage in art forms, any kind of art form, whether it be classical art, you know, making a, a, a social a social pact with people, doing a, a social event with people, producing an event, getting together, gathering together and creating something together, uh, surfing, meditating, all sorts of things that allow you to get into a flow state. Music's really powerful during this period of time, creating music with other people, doing something that is generative. Generative, that's a big part of the, of the work right now and sustainable and really limiting yourself in the actions and behaviors that are self-obfuscating and taking for the self alone. The idea of taking for the self alone or doing something for your own benefit that you know ultimately is not sustainable. So you, we all know what those behaviors are. They often fall under the umbrella of addiction and they really do splinter our our being. And right now, as, as you hear State Senator saying, she's like, we need to stand up for ourselves and other people. Everybody, everybody counts. So, you know, I'm on my soapbox, but you know, please amuse me here. And so to return to Paul Mason, just for a moment, I want to talk a little bit more about ways in which our society is inevitably moving into something that is post-capitalist. And I don't know what that means yet, but it is not the hellfire, hellscape, bullshit jobs reality that we live in. Okay, so let's take a look at a few more ideas from Paul Mason. So the idea of a commons-based peer-to-peer production, so like the idea of Wikipedia, an open source, it's, it threatens capitalism inherently. And he has another quote, which I love, where he says, technologically, we are headed for zero-priced goods, unmeasurable work, an exponential takeoff in productivity and the extensive automation of physical processes. So that's on a technological level. That's where we're headed. But he says, socially... We are trapped in the world of monopolies, inefficiency, the ruin of a finance-dominated free market, and a proliferation of bullshit jobs, which is David Graeber's phrase. He says, today the main contradiction in modern capitalism is between the possibility of free, abundant, socially produced goods and a system of monopolies, banks, and governments struggling to maintain control over power and information. Everything is pervaded by a fight between network and hierarchy. So the question is how do we become a networked person? How do we choose network over hierarchy? Now, this is, it's a big question. I'm asking a macro, macro question that can be a little bit mind-numbing to think about. But I think part of the duty, and this is actually a, a duty that is one of the core tenements of Judaism, is to educate yourself, is to really like, and not just educate yourself in the things that feel good to you, but to learn a, a little bit about everything. That's why I set my my little TV queue up to watch all different kinds of documentaries and, and reality TV because I'm like super curious. And even if it is hard for me to take in, I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. And I get to sit with the texture of my discomfort. Becoming a networked individual, it starts to crack you open in a way where you can no longer otherize another person in a way where you cannot shut down their reality just wholesale. It creates, uh, you actually can train yourself to be a curious person. So I want us to start thinking about what it means to be a networked person because I'm currently very interested in ways of promoting spirituality and promoting 
self-education and self-parenting as a way to move us through late capitalism, to move us to another place. Because this place is obviously breaking down. I mean, that's what the energy of this time is. Uh, if For the astrology people, this is Uranus in Taurus. Like, the systems are crumbling. This is Pluto at the last degrees of Capricorn. The systems are crumbling. It is real and it is happening. And the Saturnian, me being Saturnian here is saying, it's time. It's time to take responsibility for yourself. It's time to create limitations in your life so that you can thrive. It's time to be your own parent and your own uh, child and your own teacher and your own student. And it doesn't mean that you cannot learn from other people, but that fundamentally that is square one of which you are starting your journey. This is profound and it's not easy work. So, you know, everyone listening, I, I also want to just extend my my compassionate heart here and say, this is work where, as I do it, I, I stumble, I fall. I have moments of having doubt with myself or uh, less doubt and more just like being hard on myself and being like, come on, you can do better, you know? So just accept all of that and still return to that space of being like, I want to know all about the world, a little bit about all about the world and develop curiosity while I'm taking accountability for myself. So that's the profound magic of this time. Thank you for listening. I am so honored to have all of you here listening to the podcast. For those who reach out and tell me how much they love it, I love it. Thank you. You can book an astrological session with me. I will leave the link in the show notes. I have a link tree. It's linktree, linktr.ee slash marvelarex, M-A-R-V-A-L-A-R-E-X. We are now going to talk to Madison Renee Knapp. We had an amazing conversation around spirituality, religion, and economics. Enjoy. We are back with Madison Renee Knapp, and we're going to be talking this episode. I'm so excited to have you again, second time. We're talking again on a Pisces stellium. Today, the moon's in Pisces, so it is just dreamy, weemy, creamy, uh, very wet, lugubrious. I'll use that word. Oh my gosh, I'm getting you. Lugubrious, lugubrious, sanguinous. Yes, oh, sanguinous. I like that. Uh, we are here to talk about a thing that is very Pisces for all of you who are in the know, religion, spirituality, and uh, ritual ideas around the metaphysical. So we're going to go there. It's going to be mostly religion and spirituality. Um, and we're going to start, you know, Madison, do you have anything you want to say on the top about this topic before we dive into your personal journey with religion? I absolutely do. I feel, I'm feeling so heavily the the trigger and the controversy of what religion signifies so much in our culture because it it's been just loaded and loaded with these values that are you know meant to protect the ruling classes and to control everyone else and i'm i'm really feeling that aspect of religion right now, that institutionalized, exploitative side of it. I think it's so it's so prevalent across our world right now, the way that this thing that's so beautiful and is what I consider to be a human right. I think spirituality is a, if maybe not even a human right, it's just a, a life right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's doing it. Yes. Yeah. It's a, there's not even a, there's not even a, an ability to opt out of it really because existence is proof of whatever 
else there could ever be in my opinion <laughs> so um and yeah we're just feeling so strongly all of these all of these constrictions and limitations and ways in which these beautiful things have been manipulated and turned against us mm. and i'm so excited to talk with you about not only how we got to this place but also you know what are the ways that we we can touch on that we can touch on all of the good parts without having to submit ourselves to the bad parts <laughs> yes well, and it's about like the future of re religion and spirituality. You and I had a phone call. And it, the reason we're even really going deep into this topic right now, because again, this podcast is very temporal. I'm very interested in timing. That's all astrology is, is timing and the weather of the time, right? And mm -hmm. we're talking, you and I are speaking about this, and I know that you know the astrology. This is uh, with this pileup in Pisces of all these big inner and outer planets right now, this is all about what is what does like a refabricating of religion a, a spotlight on religion a, a spotlight on spirituality and all all i would actually argue i'm gonna make a strong bold statement here all of us in our lives whoever's listening to this needs to be thinking about their relationship to their spirituality and their relationship to religion right now in 2022 2023 yes. and then when saturn moves into pisces y'all like come on <laughs> and, you know and and pluto will be in pisces you know you know before we know it so th there's a lot going on um in this area of like letting go of of again when we think about pisces as a sign we actually relate it to jesus a lot so mm -hmm. we are, we're moving. I mean this is very interesting we're getting all this activation on this place that's associated with this legacy of Christianity specifically. Um, and where do we go from here? And that's a, a big question all of us should be asking. And I know that you're, you and I are both asking that question. And that's why I had you here. Cause I, when we talked on the phone, you were like, I'm thinking so much about this. How do we make yes. it through late capitalism? And I think one of the ways that we make it through late capitalism is by having a very a reworking and a reintegrating of a new, of new forms of spirituality, new forms of religion. For millennials, yeah. for Gen Z, for people who would, are like, oh, no, TikTok's my religion. No, no, no. How do we actually create something that's, like, real and big? And what does that look like? And we could talk about the Occupy movement. We could talk about Black Lives Matter. I mean, there's all these places where where religion seeps in everywhere, you know? Yeah. Religiosity seeps in everywhere. But, okay, I'm getting super, super excited. Is there anything you want to say on top of that before you begin with your story? Because I'm super excited to hear your story. <sighs> I just feel like I, I so strongly agree with you that these, these themes are going to become increasingly important. And even astrology aside, just look at our world and the technology that we have and the, the frenetic pace that everything is moving at and the level of disconnect that, you know, ha has been growing over millennia, um, but especially within the last couple hundred years um that we experience the the disconnect that we have from nature from each other and the only way to sort of ground down into these things that quote unquote really matter is to reconnect with that ineffable untamable absolutely wild untouchable part that is within all of existence 
And that's what I think our spirituality is, has always been and is, and is continues to be, but it's just, it feels so difficult when you have to pay bills and you have to brush your teeth and you have to take care of children and you have to remember to call your parents and you have to, you know, also remember on top of all that to form an identity and make it up on what you think is your own, not realizing until it's too late that, oh, my identity has actually been formed by so many of these institutionalized idea of what identity is supposed to be. (laughs) And like, oh, I've really inflicted them quite negatively on myself. (laughs) Right. Yes. No more of that. No more. Yes. Yes. We're moving into a place of like what I call the singular within the plural, but like what I hope, what I hope for is that we're moving towards a place where people can be building themselves alongside other people who are building themselves. This is very utopian and very like feminist, but except like loving diversification while creating a singular identity within a community. Um, yes, that's to, that's what you're speaking to. I, I love all of that. Will you start, Madison, with um, your your upbringing. I mean, you, yeah, I want to hear about your religious and spiritual upbringing and and any stories that you feel are relevant to share here. Yeah. I was born in Arkansas and my parents were not ever that religious. My mother even when we lived in Arkansas, there was this sort of swing in which my mother became more and more uh, mystical. Like she started doing Tai Chi. She got into Reiki. She got into crystals, you know, she, and she found that path on her own and Kung Fu and all of this stuff. Whereabouts in Uh, Arkansas, may I ask? Glitter Rock? Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Okay. Yeah. Just to place it. Great. Fayetteville, Arkansas. Arkansas. And I, it's that kind of environment where even though my parents were not overtly religious, there's still such a huge thread of religiosity that is woven through every single thing. So like my daycare was a religious daycare. My preschool was a religious preschool. Um, And my grandparents on both sides, who also both sets of them lived in Arkansas, they were both a little religious, one side more so than the other. We'll get to that. (laughs) But like, you know, my mom put my brother and I in a Christian preschool, a Baptist preschool, and because it was the closest in proximity to her work. And I think my brother and I were there for, I mean, I was a small child at the time, so I don't really know how long we were there for, but I think we were only there for a couple months before my mom pulled us out of there because my brother and I were just coming back to her with little tidbits about how, oh, I was punished for laughing accidentally during prayer <laughs> and, you know, and the amount of fear that they were already instilling into us at such a young age, yeah. which my mother became immediately intolerant of because she, 
she grew up believing that she was going to hell until she met my father. That's how she's described it to me. So from the time she was a small child until she met my dad in college, she like thought that that's, <laughs> that was her fate, even though she did nothing wrong ever. She was the kindest, sweetest, most responsible little muffin. <laughs> the religiosity thing has like, it really strongly affected her. And was um, your mom raised Baptist and, and what was your dad raised? Or did they have specific religions growing up? So my dad was not raised with any religion. I think it was just kind of, they would go for holidays, that kind of thing. So that side of the family was not terribly religious, but you know, it was the just classic like Southern Midwestern thing where my grandfather was in the military for several years. So it was like the God and country sort of perfect storm, the God country industrial complex. (laughs) That's a good one. Let's, let's patent that God country. Yeah. That's the army. They're like, oof. yes. I know there's gotta be a better word for it. Like the military Theo, theological yeah, yeah. theo military we'll theology yeah we'll figure it out later go ahead theo military oh my ah! god we'll, we'll figure it out we'll figure it out it's in our notes for later yeah. yes. let's come back to it um but yeah so they sort of had that more kind of experience oh and capitalist we have to include the capitalist part Oof, of that as it's well. so big yeah well, daddy 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 bucks daddy warbucks <laughs> yep mm-hmm. daddy warbucks daddy warbucks kind of says it all Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> Whoa. I don't even know how I did that. Okay, moving on. Okay, so mom's side. Mom's side was more religious. Okay. So mom's side was more religious. Apparently they were quite freewheeling when they were younger, but then my grandparents decided to get saved and become free will Baptists. And free will Baptists are different than are or they're distinguished from regular baptist sects because the idea is that in baptism you know you you get saved by getting dunked in the water and you know you get absolved of your sins and that's how you can accept christ into your heart more completely you get the dunking in the water forgives you of your sins but free will Baptists, you only get one dunk. Oh my God. Whereas regular Baptists, regular Baptists, I mean, other Baptists, <laughs> you can get dunked multiple times throughout your life. Um, you know, just to sort of, it's a way of reinvigorating your faith and all that stuff. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be because you've done something bad. It's yeah, just a, ritualistic cleansing is across religions and it's a water we know is so powerful as, as a ritual. Yeah. 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 Medium. But the free will Baptists, you get one dunk and anything you do after that is on you. <laughs> oh, so you got to wait. Do they force you to do it initially or do you got to, can you time the dunk? I, you got to do it to get in. In. <gasps> so they're like, once you're in, you have to be perfect, quote unquote, mm-hmm. or you're going to mm-hmm. hell. Is this the idea? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like my, you know, my grandparents, like, they didn't swear. They didn't drink. Um, they didn't, uh, they didn't gamble, you know, it, it was just a very, and it wasn't, it's kind of like Mormon adjacent, which is, you know, 
I know what you grew up with. It's mm-hmm. like, and they were exposed to a lot of Mormonisms because at, at many Mormonisms at like different that. points, <laughs> they lived in, um, they lived in Arizona. They yes. lived in parts of Utah. My mom was born in Kanab, Utah. Wow. And, mom and I were, yeah. you, your mom and I were clo- born close together. All right. I love it. My parents and grandparents sort of vibe when I was growing up, like my mom's side, much more religious, my dad's side, not so much, but they, but it's interesting with time, they've kind of switched to where my maternal um, grandparents have relaxed and my paternal grandparents have gotten a little more intense with the religion. Interesting. And these are the, so you're free, the free will Baptists on your mother's side, your, your grandparents, they're, they're actually loosening up a little bit and they, they're not as concerned about the one dunk policy basically. Well, it's just, I mean, my grandfather, so my, my grandmother passed away. So it's just my grandfather now. And he's a very, um, he's just a very sweet, quiet, gentle man. It's like, you know, what is he ever really going to do? What's he going to do? Wrong anyway. He's hanging out. He's hanging out. Yeah. He's just, he's always been very, very mild, very chill. And so, you know, he's, um, he was a pastor for a while. And even, even in being a free will Baptist, like he's always been sort of the more relaxed one. It's just that their routines in general, like revolved around, and at a certain point, my grandfather's profession, because he was pastor, revolved around that religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my paternal side, my grandfather recently passed away and my grandmother for the past like decade has been getting just increasingly religious thanks to Facebook. <laughs> oh, Facebook. Yeah. See, this is, this is interesting. The intersections of, uh, you know, neo-technologies and, and religion. Oh my gosh. The brain ancient technology with the most modern technology <laughs> coalescing. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, fascinating. Yeah. Wow. So she kind of got not, I don't want to use the word radicalized, but she got really excited via probably a Facebook group, I would assume probably, or just, yeah, just other people. Several, several Facebook groups, you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, like and share if you love Jesus and you know, the, like we were saying the daddy Warbucks complex of it all, the, the patriotism, capitalism, pro-military, all sort of bundled that, that package. Um, and it's offered in so many different flavors on Facebook. I was going to say a myriad, (laughs) a myriad endless. Uh, what was your experience, uh, experience growing up there in terms of, yeah, I want to focus a little bit more on you and just like what, apart from the early Baptist moments as a child, what else was happening for you as you were becoming an adult? Yeah. Well, initially, so I was in these very religious spaces, but I always felt separate from them. I always felt like I had my own conversation happening with God. And there were these people who were telling me these other stories that felt like it had nothing to do with my understanding of what God was, even from such a young age, like, and especially because baptism revolves around and Christianity in general, but, um, 
baptism has a very fire and brimstone energy to it. Of all the Protestant religions, the Protestant Christianities, it's the most fire and brimstone. I mean, that's where you get like, you know, the, you get very hyperactive preachers. And I mean, I guess the, the Pentecostal stuff gets super intense as well, but yeah, I just always felt that I was sort of a step removed from the stories that these people were telling me about how the reason you say, God bless you when a person sneezes is because your soul is trying to escape your body. (laughs) They seem like they're just meant to terrify children. (laughs) It somehow got worse the older that I got. And when we moved to Washington state, there was a huge surge of evangelical churches being built in my immediate neighborhood because I was sort of, we had moved to this area that was part of a really big suburban sprawl that was happening and this is this is it in washington state yeah this is in washington state when i'm in middle school and high school okay and one of the most profound things that's ever happened was they started doing and i'm sure everyone has some memory of this but there would be like skateboard nights where (laughs) the church would host a like big skateboarding event and set up ramps and jumps and rails for the kids to grind on because skating was really big, really popular. <laughs> In the like nineties. Oh my gosh. It totally was Tony Hawk pro skater Four. he's having a comeback right now. Anyway. Yes. Okay. So skate nights. Yes. And what they would do is they would do the skate night. Everyone would be having so much fun. And then at a certain point they'd want everybody to sit down And they'd tell everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. And they would say, please raise your hand if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So you have your head down and they obviously are taking a marking of who has their hand raised and who doesn't. (laughs) So like, please raise your hand if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so it's, you know, after this happened, it's so obvious, like what they're doing. Motive is how old were you? How old were you when this first happened? Do you remember? Yeah, I was in, I was in eighth grade. So I would have been 13. 13. The pressure, the pressure of that feels really intense. And also just, again, like you're not ready for it as it's happening. That's very intense. Yeah. And even before that, there were other instances where like, friends brought me to their churches and stuff like that, which I didn't mind because like, I really enjoy, um, like I really enjoy sacred spaces of all variety. And, you know, it's like, I went to one of those evangelical churches a couple of times and watch people like get up and give testimony about like how and why they need to be saved. And like, I just, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I'm very skeptical of a lot of the tactics are being employed um but like the tactics of this skate night where they're hosting this event for children they're bringing all these children in they're taking a sort of silent poll of who is who is christian and who is not and then they pull those children aside who are not and what they would do is they would say hey we um we just kind of 
want to talk to you with the pastor for a second and like a couple of your friends in a circle. Is that okay? And of course I would say, yeah, sure. That's fine. Then we'd be standing in the prayer circle and they would talk about how it's so important, the way that we influence each other Mm. as children and how we need to make sure that we're not living in sin and that we're not just doing things to go along with others and be cool, uh, not doing drugs, not having sex, all this stuff. And, you know, we're all very like awkward preteens. Preteens. Oh my gosh, preteen. Like, what is happening right now? Uh, Okay. And then the next layer of manipulation was that they would give a, they would say, hey, we want to do like a prayer for you off to the side. um, And we'll give you this, this coupon for Starbucks, a free Starbucks coupon. Daddy Warbucks. Here he is. I know. I know. We'll give you Daddy Starbucks. Starbucks. Oh my God. Okay. We'll give you this free coupon for Starbucks. If you just come over here and you let us pray for you. And I'm like, free Starbucks. Yeah. hundred percent. Thirteen years old, I would have been pumped to get a free Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Frappuccinos. I was eating, I was like, drinking Frappuccinos. Eating. I was basically eating Frappuccinos. Yeah. They were amazing. I know. They were amazing. I, can't I remember I ate them. <laughs> Just, I mean, really, we were poisoned from a very young age. Oh, kids in the 90s, they're like, whatever, organic, I don't care. Sugar. (laughs) Yeah, sugar, just the sugar. Just the sugar. So I'm like, yeah, I'll let you pray for me for a big fat sugar drink. That's, of course, great news for me. I'm coming up. (laughs) Um, So this, this young woman takes me off to the side and you know, we sit down in a corner and she's like, bow your head and close your eyes. And we're doing the thing. She's like, dear Lord, like, please look after Madison. Please tell her that she, you know, needs to accept you into her heart for the sake of herself, for the sake of her family and for the sake of her dog so that her dog can join you in heaven and her parents can join you in heaven when it's time. Like basically threatening that if I didn't accept Jesus into my heart, leveraging that my the parents and the dog, go to hell. <laughs> leveraging the parents and the dog, and you're not yeah. like dumb. Like it's like thirteen. A thirteen year old can figure it out yeah, at that age. Just, well, it's also like it just hurt what she was saying. I don't even remember a lot of the exact language that was being used, but like that was very much the implication. It's like you are bad if you don't accept Jesus Christ. And that means also that your family is bad. Your dog is bad and you're all going to die and you're all going to hell. And it was like, I started crying when she was talking to me because I just became so overwhelmed with fear. And then the most awful part (laughs) Is that I tried to go use the Starbucks coupon and then they wouldn't take it. Oh <laughs> my daddy Warbucks. There's a level of manipulation that's being involved. The more that I've grown up with, you know, just seeing religion as I've been exposed to it. And then also just being a naturally curious person. Like I found about, um, I found about Egyptian theology when I was, you know, like in fourth, God, no, it had to have been before fourth grade. I was like in third grade or something. Cause I was still living in Arkansas 
And I just sort of, I, I, I almost feel like I found out about that through like something tangentially on TV or something like that. And I was yeah. like, oh, there's all these crazy, there's like a jackal headed person that people worship. That's amazing. That plus my mom also like exploring her own spirituality more like mm. she attuned me to Reiki when I was 18 years old. Um, she, you know, was a practicing Reiki master from like the time I was 15. Okay. So, and I got into astrology kind of around that time as well. Um, and Buddhism and the, and the Tao and just all of this, you know, I just, I wanted to, to know, I just always wanted to know. And I felt it was something that was so visceral inside of me, this, this energy of life and this mystery, this, it's an energetic mystery is like kind of the only way that I can describe it. And I grew up with so many people telling me that they knew the answer and I was always down to have the conversation with them. And I mm. still am, but there's a level at which I feel like we're all just trying to describe the thing that we can't see. We're all just trying to put words to something that's totally unnameable. Yeah. And it's admirable that we would want to do that, but we're never going to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> we're not supposed to. Yeah. We're not supposed to. I think part of it is that it's it's actually the encapsulation of it, which is a paradox, is that it's the thing itself is constant transformation. Like the thing is constantly transforming. Therefore, the moment you think you've got it, and I think this way about love and relationships, the moment you think you know someone, whoa, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> hold on because everybody's changing because they're god too like it's a mimetic experience we're all having um yeah it's interesting just thinking a little bit about your story and thinking about the confluence of of i'm thinking so much about late capitalism right now mostly because i'm just doing a lot of research on economics but late capitalism and religion and this is a, a further conversation or a further question that i want to explore with you is like what is what what are ideas that we have for religions moving through late capitalism that also kind of involves t untangling like what do we even mean by late capitalism which is a, another yeah. hour-long conversation in and of itself or longer but the can thing i is, just interject yeah. really quickly yes. by saying that a friend of ours a mutual friend of ours uh created this instagram account where they're making like they're trying to make a poster a day and they made a poster that says economics is Ivy League astrology. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that feels so on brand with this yes. topic. Economics is Ivy League astrology. Because people don't understand just how made up it is. It is. They oh, don't uh, understand. I much it is a story i'm reading about this i'm reading um uh, excerpts from a manuscript of this um recently deceased professor at goldsmith's uh, an, an economic philosopher so he doesn't even study like all the like minutia or granular he just studies the philosophy of economics and the history of economics totally brilliant guy and he was saying he was like you realize like the idea of economy with a capital e is like basically like a circus show like it's it's so intangible and it has so much to do when you study markets you realize sentiment they talk about sentiment all the time what is even sentiment what <laughs> when you really look hard at it you're like 
okay, yeah, there's a lot of quote unquote math involved and yes, sure. But then there's also, there's so much that's indescribable within economics itself. And there, and so this is, that's a whole nother tangent we can go on, but I completely agree with you. So when people knock certain quote unquote soft sciences, like psychology, um, they call it like folk psychology or, uh, you know, again, uh, folk arts, uh, the occult, when they're always like, oh, none of that's real. I'm like, just take a harder look at economics, take a harder mm-hmm. look at the market, take a harder mm-hmm. look at all these things. And then you start to realize like, there is no man behind the curtain. There's no curtain. Yeah. Like what's happening? <laughs> well, and yeah. there's even the terminology of economics. And I, I don't remember which one, um, which one came first, but basically in ancient Greeks, which ancient Greece, which is where we get the term economics from, believe that economics refers to managing the household. It refers to household management of just like taking care of daily affairs and cleaning and cooking and, you know, making sure that everyone is fed and clothed and that kind of thing. But there's another thing that also was identified in ancient Greece, which was called just the acquisition of money and it was viewed as a very negative thing Mm. and it's interesting because that's the that's how we view what we know as economics now we we view it as like this the cycling and acquiring of money it's not just managing a household and managing one's life responsibly they talk about this this book I'm reading uh, called uh, Post Capitalist Desire, incredible book, Mark Fisher. Um, please check it out, everybody. But he talks about the force or the affect of capital and how capital itself, capital C, capital 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 with capital C, uh, has this affect and this force, and and how that, in some ways, it seems like humanity is almost trying to catch up with the force of it. It's in and of itself, which is why we're in this like very dystopian late capitalist stage we're in because we've sort of created a leviathan that we're like what do how what and most people are like the leviathan's great like i'm getting burned and singed but it's all good um you know right like that's a lot a lot of people buy it wholesale because that's all it is and and your your description of being a young person i'm so i'm going to kind of bridge this it's like the affect of capital and then the affect of religion and i'm saying affect a f f e c t the like the way it I call it like psychodimensionally affects us. The 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 way that we are ch- changed and turned by capitalism, but also by religion, they are they have equal and embedded force. If we're talking just physics, and well, I th- they've always yeah. been interwoven. They've always yeah. been mu- the money has always been protected or linked to a theocracy in some in some form, because that's what we started out with. We started out from uh, this place of like living in a state of almost mild schizophrenia because our stress threshold was so low and our environment was full with so few novelties. By the time we got to a certain agrarian state in humanity, and so someone would tie their shoes in a new way and we'd be like, you're the God King. <laughs> you did the, t- the shoe tie. How'd you do that? What has happened? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the portals have opened, you know, let alone just 
you know, religion as a way of describing all of the incredible phenomena that our world, that our bodies are filled with. That's sort of the lens in which it, it seems to have initially developed from like, yes, there was a certain level of malevolence because there would still be things like famine and drought and people would die and no one knew why. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's still some, uh, some, Yes, there has to be a villain in the story. Yes. But it was a much more holistic thing that changed because of so many factors of uh, like, especially what happened once we developed written language. Written language is a huge merging between theocracy and money. Like it's, it's a huge touchstone because the reason why the written language was invented was to account for things. Mm-hmm. That's there it is. why it was invariant. There's the word, <laughs> account. Yeah. yeah, account for things. And then eventually they were like, huh, we can actually use this to like write things down so that we can remember things more than just like how much grain we have or whatever. And then that very quickly developed into an exchangeable value system of goods that then of course would always be in control by the uh by the religious rulers because they were the ones who developed this technology of writing and therefore they would insularly pass it down between them they wouldn't share it with the masses yes there was a literacy became this huge uh this huge dividing line between the classes and also between the just the power structures in general and that's why Lutheranism, when it came along eventually, was such a huge deal. Lutheranism and Protestantism and all that, because they were disseminating written information. Martin Luther. This, it's yep. so much later, too. It's in the 1600s. Like, yes. the, the first written stuff, I for, I'm terrible. I forget all the dates. When, I forget all the dates. I'm not a date person. 5,500 years ago in Mesopotamia, present day Iraq, the cuneiform script. Oh, I remember the cuneiform script. Yeah, around 3,500 yeah. BCE. And then Martin yeah. Luther obviously brings this sort of much more disseminated. This is 95 thesis. It wasn't the Bible. I remember that being like the thing that he was like, I got to get this out into the world. Okay. But I yeah. love where you're going with this because you're you're tying in something that I've been thinking about a lot, a lot about this idea of, of who has control over the word and the word quote. And that's a really powerful phrase in Christianity. Ooh. Who has, a, who has control over the word and how that, originated in a religious context like it they are not divided i love how we still think state and, and religion are divided i'm like that's such a charade yeah it's such a charade. we're really cute <laughs> it's really cute yeah um but then you, i'm thinking so much about elon musk buying twitter and i'm thinking a lot about trump buying like trump and and when you look at trump's uh i've watched a lot of his rallies a lot for research of a lot of my really crazy performance art character people but when you watch trump talk at a rally and you watch an evangelical uh, preacher, there's really not that much difference. I mean, when you're looking at it, it's like the 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 content is different potentially, not always, but the fervor and the intensity with which politicians have to go with is so mm-hmm. it's so mirrored to me. All yeah. of this. Well, it's interesting too because like the it's like the biggest discernible difference, especially now that Trump has sort of gone into this place where like he seems as though he truly does not give a fuck. He's just up there very casually talking. And for him, it's like, 
what makes them so uh, the idea of Trump and a uh, evangelical preacher is this idea of like the crowd is very, very invested in and and also heavily responsive in these environments. But for Trump, it's like it's it's funny because it's like the secular it's like you were saying the content is different. he's coming from a secular, like secular to the point that he, well, you know, I was going to say he's being, you know, racist and sexist and all of these things, but, you know, I don't actually know if that is more secular. I think that's actually more religious. Oh boy. My brain is. Well, they, they they talk about, I mean, a lot of, especially conservatives, but not, but, but across the board, I would say Democrats and conservatives, and I'm not going to go down the wormhole of how I find them more similar than different. Um, but, but they talk about God actually quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of like, and God is obviously written into so much of our, our actually federal government and state government. Like, Oh yeah. uh, The literature, God, God shows up. God's on the bill. God's on the dollar bill. That's all we have to say. Um, mic drop, but yes. Um, they, that that's definitely brought up during his speeches for sure. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So a lot of it is about, again, I'm just like, again, I'm going back to Elon Musk buying Twitter because it's a news, it's a, it's an eclipse thing, but, uh, the idea of, I'm like, oh, well, then my question, a question to throw at you a little bit is like, okay, someone buying something that has the power to disseminate the word, right? And the fact that like, even through Facebook, your grandmother got more radical or more religious. Uh, I'm curious about just for us to think about, you know, where are we headed in terms of understandings of spirituality and ritual especially through these technological devices and the fact that Trump really radicalized people through Twitter, right? And Elon buying it may very well bring him back on. Uh, although Trump has said he doesn't want to be back on Twitter, but who knows? I doubt that that's true. He's a Gemini. Um, but I'm just curious about d- talking more. I'm, I'm really future oriented. I'm trying to think, again, my Aquarius is like, where are we going so we yeah. came from this place of like it there and they've never really been separated church and state. Uh, and that's obvious now that we have these forms of technology that are very ritualistic. I, I don't know if people think about these things, but being on Twitter, posting on Twitter, being on Instagram, being on Facebook, they're all ritual. They're not super physical, like you're sitting on usually and looking at a phone, but there's still a yeah. ritualistic component to all of this. Right. It's all very because religious. Temples- yeah, temples and religious structures only existed to get you into the frame of mind to be thinking about this thing. And so if you're now our our temples are our phones. So you go to your phone and then you have, you know, where a temple would have like be adorned with certain colors, be adorned with certain figures, have certain flowers, like aroma was always a big part of all religious um, sites. Now we have these mostly visual markers because they're the amount the sheer amount of visual markers is so infinite. And also we have such a highly developed catalog at this point of what all of these semantics and signifiers, how they exist in, in our visual field. And so all you have to do is just open your phone and then you're, you are keyed into a neural pathway that is telling you 
you know, A, B, and C of the ritual of what it takes for either you to do a post or to like a post or to save a post. That's the thing I do the most. I don't really engage with social media that much because it has only become more painful for me mm-hmm. over the years. But, and it's for that reason. It's actually for a spiritual reason because I, and spiritual in like a many, uh, in like a many edged sword kind of way, because on the one hand, I feel absolutely in awe of the presence and the beauty of some of the things that exist in that space and the pride that I feel. Technological spaces. Incredible. The The metaverse. Incredible. It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like so proud of people who are just like, that's how much you care about this. Like, wow. Like that's amazing. Even if it's not something that I agree with, like I've, I truly do feel a level of, of, love and awe for, for it. But at the same time, because of the malevolent programming that has seeped into my being and the way that I internalize it as an individual, I don't have the, the level of hubris that seems to be required to participate <laughs> in this temple in the same way, like, which feels odd because I, like have for sure in a past life, like just been the temple Oracle. Like that's. Oh, sure. uh, I very much get that vibe from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. If not now, like that's also what I am now. Like if it's a physical space, like I'm there, I'm there, I'll do whatever, but in a technological space, I can't, I don't feel as strongly about putting toes into there. Yes. And into into that temple it's like how do you feel like that how do you feel like the digital temple Mm. like vibes with you or that you vibe with it yeah i I was i'm excited that you asked that question because i was about to kind of jump there that was where i was like oh how where am i seeing presently and in the future this sort of physical digital temple quote unquote uh well, I will say, similar to you, as a performance artist, as someone who's a performer who loves to be in the mix in phys- in 3D spaces with, you know, 3D, I always call it 5D. I'm like, there's so much going on. It ain't 3D. There's yeah. all sorts of things happening. But 3D uh, is the Pixar film. Like, that's, yeah, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I also feel if we're going to just use the past life metaphor, I feel like an Egyptian, you know, like psychopomp, like just total wild uh, creature that I really just, I'm fine. I feel the most joy when I am watching people connect in a live space. That's where, and of course you and I are performers. Like that makes a lot of sense. We are drawn there. I performed on zoom once during the pandemic and it kind of broke my heart just straight up. I was like, um, no, I'd rather be on a film set. That's that works better for me if we're going to do it in that realm. Uh, in terms of the future, I feel like, or digital spaces and and the temp quote unquote if we're going to call a digital space a temple because people are communing, people are communing on Instagram. You can go live and then people are communing there. It is a I love what you just said a digital temple. This is really interesting to me, of as an idea. Do I think that it is structured enough? No, I think that there's a lot of malevolent and malignant energy present there. 
And I, and I, and again, people get a little ooh, hesitant when you say the word structured enough, because then it, it does veer. This is the, the tenuous nature of this moment. Oh, if you structure something and make it more quote unquote, something uh, like X or Y, then it's fascistic. Then it is controlled. This is Elon Musk's whole argument with Twitter. I'm going to take it private so that we can have free speech. And it's like, what does he even, I mean, we're not, let's not go there, but like, what does free speech even mean if it's, if a company has been bought by a, a billionaire and, you know, so that's a whole other thing. Um, it's the whole idea of Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan does this where he's like, and I've been thinking about Joe Rogan a lot. I'm doing a podcast. He's like, oh, I, I just want free speech. I just want people to say their truth. Yeah. But you're, you're selecting specific guests and then your audience is listening to a, a it's already been filtered. You're already, there's yeah. already a spin buddy. So yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to digital temple, like if it's healthy or not. Yeah. I know that when I am in a physical space, because I do go to an actual shul, I go to a, a Jewish temple in person here in Los Angeles on sh during Shabbat, which is every Friday evening and Saturday morning. It, it fills my cup. My cup overfloweth in that space. When I go to Instagram, because again, it's not structured, the way shul is structured in a very specific way, Instagram is this diversified experience where you can watch what someone ate and you can also watch someone like literally twerking on a live video in a matter of milliseconds. It, 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 I never feel like my cup overfloweth. I do believe though that it's a religion. So this is my argument. I'm like, yes, like being, it's a ritualist, you're engaging in a ritualistic behavior and you're saying, I'm letting this into my, you're, you, you said the word frame. You're like, the temple is this way to frame or to reframe your being so that you can focus on something. And in the digital temples that we've created so far, yes, you can definitely like mute all the people you want to mute and have only a very specific wall i guess or feed it's still yeah. kind of you said this in the last time we recorded it's a little bit of just like a free-for-all like it's a it's a coin toss so again i i there's a lot of questions i brought up i don't know if i've answered much but i i do feel like part of what i've spoken about with you personally on a phone call and then with a few other people in my community is like and i'm talking just like i don't even want to use my community it's like all the communities that i dip my toes in speaking to all those people, most folks have gone back to me and been like, we actually need like in-person or hybridized structured spiritual spaces. Because during 2020, so many people were like, oh, maybe I'm not agnostic. And I'd love to hear your, this is a great segue into your thoughts about contemporary, uh, especially millennials, you know, Pluto and Scorpio people finding God during the pandemic or finding something like God. And what your experience is with that personally and also maybe future. I'm like, where are we going? Like, what, what are some ideas for where we're going? Especially yeah. as younger people. Yeah. 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 Because it's so interesting. It really does seem to have the last couple of years have really seemed to split a lot of people um, wide open in a couple of different ways. People have gone through a very emotional, psychic, spiritual upheaval. And one of the things that I've heard was a, a yogi made a prediction for like the next decade for the 2020s. And one of the things that the yogi said was a third of the world is going to die. A third of the world will go crazy and a third of the world will be enlightened. And it's Boom. really spooky. Boom. I love that. I love threes. So I'm just like, oh yeah. Okay. Yogi got it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something about that too, where when you, when you hear that and you apply it to everything that we've consciously and unconsciously been absorbing for the last couple of years, it's like, Oh yeah, that seems to be tracking so far. Yes. And like, I wonder which third I'm going to be in. <laughs> well, with the, with the Pisces, with the Pisces pile up, people will actually like, that's very interesting because people can easily lose their mind. Anyway, continue. Yeah. No, absolutely. But even having that level of curiosity, because the the biggest issue that has come up from what I've seen both from afar and from up close, having my experience, having my, my parents take the direction of going more liberal and spiritual, and then my grandparents and other parts of my family going much more conservative, some of them like breaking off into weird, even atheist sort of tracks is the idea of control. People realized how little control they actually have over their lives. And a big part of the political upheaval is people reconciling how little control they actually have in this thing that has been branded as being the most in control of the people, I'm saying in air quotes. The idea of spirituality has become one that is about control. It has been used to control people. And, you know, to take it back to what you were saying with the word, because the word is the name also. And the name is the sound which signifies and identifies that thing. So we have taken, we have taken the unnameable and sought to name it. And in doing so, it can connect us more profoundly with that thing, because part of the journey of naming it, I think, is that you realize that, oh, it's, it's like finding out that like a person's name is Greg. It's like, oh, you're not simply Greg, you're (laughs) Greg, like, you know, you're, you're five foot seven, you know, you have two dogs, you bruised your knee when you were a kid on the rim of the bathtub, you know, like there's such a level of intimacy and intricacy that exists just behind any one word name name. Yeah. And not only that, but Greg, at this very moment, the only reason I can perceive you is because all of these tiny particles are vibrating at just a perfect frequency for my eyes and the particles in my eyes that are also vibrating to perceive you as the Greg that I know. (laughs) And my perception of this Greg could be, is very vastly different than your perception of that Greg. Yes. Depending on pheromones, depending on all sorts of things. Yes. Yeah. And also, I mean, I was just talking with my mom about this yesterday. Greg can never see Greg's self. You know, this is huge. like we can never see ourselves. Lacan I can mirror. See, mm. Yeah, exactly. I can see my little image up here on the on the Zoom call, but like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not me. I can't see myself. Yes, I'm doing. Uh, I'm getting uh, what's called uh, well, in in a lot of people know as bar or bar mitzvah. I'm getting like an adult version of that, and we're uh, myself and oh another person in October. You are absolutely invited. All the LA people and anyone who wants to fly out, we're getting uh, my friend and I, who's also a Libra. So it's two people. It's very classic Libra moon and Libra sun. We're getting a Yelde mitzvah, which is a, is a, we're queering the, we're queering the bar and bat mitzvah. We're like queering, we're making it very gender expansive. But part of this process is uh, you have to say something called Devar Torah, where you 
talk about your Torah portion that you're going to sing for the crowd, which I'm like, oh, I'm a perform. I'm so excited to perform it. I get to sing. Uh, yeah, I'm like so excited. But part of my Dave Torah or, or my, the Torah portion that I'm going to do in October is about Moses actually asks God, may I see your face, please? Like he's begging him on Mount Sinai. May I please see your face? I want to see your face. And God says, God's like, no, 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 honey. No, 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 honey. No, no, no. But, but Moses is begging, please let me see your face. Let me see your face. And it's just him and God on this mountain. And God says, okay, okay, hold on a second. I, you're really, I, okay. I hear you. Why not? I will show you my back. <laughs> so God does what, and they say it in the Torah. It's so interesting. They kind of describe it or it's translated as like, God does a, a very intricate dance around Moses between a rock. So there's like a rock and Moses is there and God's like, look in this specific space and I will dance. And for a split moment, Moses sees his, the back, the back of whatever this God is. But the idea and what I'm going to talk about in my day of Torah, I'm still really working it out, is just that we may desire to control life and to see the face of life, to really see it and be like, I, I know. You know, in Aquarius, I'm an Aquarius stellium. We want to say, I know. That's always, I know, I know, I know. And often we get the back through an intricate dance and we didn't expect the dance. We didn't expect what was going to happen. And we don't even really understand the back of the thing, but we got a glimpse just for a split mm -hmm. second. We know that it's there. We don't really understand what it is, but we know that it's there. And I think that's life. And I'm immediately thinking of the John Lennon quote, which is life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. You want to see the face, you get the back. It's also a dance. What happened? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and like, you know, for, I feel like even uh, there's two pieces of media that have really informed my like my similar feelings to that mystical connection with God. One of them is um, the Ten Commandments, which I would watch on repeat as a kid. And isn't that moment with God and Moses, it, he's on Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. That moment is in the 10 commandments with Charlton Heston. And they don't, they don't depict it in this way where you see God's back. It's just that God moves around Moses and like, it's like a wind, you know, and then we get the burning bush. Yes. You know, and then yes. the this is my Torah portion. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah. It's so exciting. Um, but that part was always one of my favorite parts of the dual video cassette film that I have. <laughs> um, besides all of like the very sexy Egypt stuff in oh, the beginning. So sexy. Ugh, the tape Egyptian. one, tape one of the 10 commandments. Mwah, so sexy. So, so sexy. Mm. Uh, and tape two, having this moment where it's made very clear that humans are not and in Christianity, it's skewed in a very like, we're not worthy sort of way, but we are not designed to see the face of God. And that's actually been in uh, contact as well. The film contact with Jodie Foster, where like the yes. alien is appearing to her as her father, because that would be the most familiar thing to her. Or mm. the other one is in, in uh, dogma. Um, where Alanis Morissette appears as God and the idea that like she doesn't really speak because like we can't even handle the voice of God you know like the 
our our relationship with this thing would blow our freaking minds. We're not in these limited human bodies designed to handle the infinite. And that's okay that we just have to be like, okay with that, especially because, you know, I like to think that we are part of that infinity and we will return to it in a way that is more open-eyed or, or able to look at, look at God and hear God and, and, you know, feel God in a completely more immersed way than what we have now as our experience of being human. Like there's, oh, there's so much in Hinduism and uh, the Bhagavad Gita and, um, and Ram Dass talks about all the time about our separation from yes. God. Yes. Our separation from the beloved. Yes. And because that's what it is to exist in corporeal meat bags. <laughs> Yes. Yes. This is all so good. I'm so glad we got to talk about Mount Sinai. Yes, it made it on there. The sacred mountain, La Sagrada Montaña. My my final question for us to kind of just tease, because we really can't go in too deep given the time, is just for us as millennials, and I'm thinking about Gen Z, millennial, even exennials and Gen X, do you have any ideas of like, you know, even utopian visions for ways that are reality can or that our communities or our generations can find ritual that's not just scrolling on Instagram like because I I personally firmly believe that we all need spirituality and that people find spirituality in many different ways some people surf every day and that's their form of spirituality uh, but I think I'm actually concerned I know I'm concerned actually with more of a structured here I am bringing my Saturn more of a structured, community oriented spiritual space that isn't just like the Justin Bieber neo-Christian churches that litter LA. It's like, how are we creating these like extremely diversified spaces? Is it too big of a thought? I don't, I don't believe that, but what does it look like for you? Or do you have any ideas um, about the future of, of where, where we could sort of take looking at our parents and and seeing that a lot of them are even resentful of Catholicism or resentful of these religions. Where are we going? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I also be thinking about this quite a bit. Um, For me right now, what I've found to be the most grounding thing, because living in western capitalized you know world as we do i think there's a big clawing backwards that we have to go um, or that we have to perform in order to reconnect with a level of spirituality that is essential to our daily lives and i think that has to start in a personal way Mm. Um, because we we are so conditioned to be individualized here and not just individualized, but also highly separate from the divine. Um, and I, I think that it's, it starts with, like you were saying, people going surfing every day and that's part of their religion. Like that's a nature worship thing. And, and it's, it's also a body worship thing. It's like, it's a beautiful physical act that does require so many levels of ritual. Like you have to put on the right suit you have to make sure that you have the right size board for what you're doing out there you have to check the weather like you know it requires all these things for me what i have come into over the past 
six months is that I've designed a very uh, strict morning ritual for myself. And because I've been in this like huge upheaval, I've kind of, I've tried to be a little bit more forgiving toward myself to, if I don't follow it exactly perfect, because, you know, I don't have, I, I would have like my, my little puja table that I made of like all these different things that I had of all my belongings, belongings from my family, like all these little sacred items and sound bowls and all that stuff in a perfect way. Right now I'm in a hotel room, <laughs> you know, right. and then after this, I'm going to be, you know, living with a friend of mine for a couple of months until I find my own place. But I, I don't really, it's not that we need those things every time. Like the, it's the Japanese tea ceremony. Like it's never, you can try to do the same thing. This the exact same way. It's never going to be that. And so keeping that sort of wabi-sabi Japanese tea ceremony mentality about our spirituality and our own rituals that we try to design for ourselves. But for me, it's been very mantra based. Like mm. I am doing the Namyoho Rengekyo, which I love because, you know, the idea of devoting oneself to the Lotus Sutra, like for me, the way that I've internalized this is about the authenticity of like right action and right thought and right speech, Mm. Um, you know, and the clarity of being able to see reality and meet reality on reality's terms. Yes. Um, And I think that this is what is, this is a really good place for people to start, like take something that like is part of your consciousness somewhere that, you know, and just really like embrace it in the, as the thing that you understand, Mm. you know, like, I think that there's a lot to be learned in terms of like, there are places where they chant like it's group settings and that exists and that's beautiful. And maybe I'll, I'll try that. But for starters, for me, I'm just interested in developing my own relationship with what that thing means. I think that there, there are frequencies exist that you have to meet things on. Yes. Um, Especially if they're, if they're part of cultures that are not a part of your specific identity. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we'll always have a like more direct access to things that are familiar with our, with our heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, I have definitely like, I also talk to the Judeo-Christian God for sure. (laughs) But also I don't really draw distinctions between what God is, what Buddha is, what good, what evil is, what I am, you know, what my dog is. You know, I don't really draw too many fine distinctions between those things. I, I feel more alive when I realize that we're all churning together. We are, we all, we all are turning together. Yes. And I, yeah, I, I also, I really love like all of the mantras that exist in 
um, Hinduism because there are mantras for, I mean, talk about astrology. There are mantras for planets. Yes. In Hinduism. And I, I love that so much because astrology for me is a great, like, I don't know what heritage really I have with astrology. Like I don't have any Greek in me that I know of, mm-hmm. but for sure, astrology, it could be considered as like a Western Europe. It's all over. Yeah. It's all over. And even, you know, my tie to it is that Sephardic Jew, because I'm a Sephardic Jew, it's it, a lot of Kabbalists who came from mm-hmm. my, mother's, yeah. my mother's hometown are, are, uh, Vedic, basically lunar astrologers. They're almost like Vedic astrologers in that way. They they were they were totally doing astrology back in the day. So yeah. you you'd be surprised. It's uh, it was uh, astrology was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. Because the scar the stars are above everybody. <laughs> the stars shine on everyone. They, they sincerely do. They sincerely oh. do. I but love, it's yeah. Okay. Go ahead. It's just, it's also like astrology has, you know, a, a Western astrology specifically as we know it, like has its roots in Greek mythology. And like, I feel like that, that level, that particular frequency of mythology has been such a huge part of like narrative development in the Western world. And so like that, that's a big reason why, like I, uh, gravitate towards it. And I feel like it can be mirrored in, and, and it's talked about in the Bible. It's referenced in the Bible oh, absolutely. a lot. Astrology is referenced in the Bible a lot. You can just get, just mm-hmm. Google it, Google it people. Yep. It's Google interesting I. too, because you mentioned like the, the bedrock of our, even of Western capitalism, where we are now talking in this like, you know, late capitalist dystopia, the bedrock of so much of our narrative storytelling is this Greco-Roman, the, I think of the hero's journey. I mean, this is all coming from the Greeks and the Romans and how we, uh, all every freaking Marvel movie you've ever seen is based off of the hero's journey, which is based off of mythology. I mean, it's ultimately mythology. Um, it's so interesting. It's all there. It's all there. And so you're saying just like getting, touching back in with these ancient forms and developing ritual yourself on a personal level, right? Is, is part of what you're sort of saying for folks to think about in their lives. Yeah. And if you don't know how to approach it, like just Google how it's been done by yeah. people and then see if that's something that you would be into. I mean, I was, even when I was a kid, when I was like, I think I bought my first book on witchcraft around the same time that I discovered, um, you know, that I came, that I was exposed to like Egyptology and um, Egyptian theology and all of that stuff. And then that sort of led into like the Greeks and, you know, the, the, just the idea of pantheism in general. Incredible. So, so shocking but made so much sense to me and my body when I heard about it. I was like, what What do you mean? Because it always seemed very perplexing to me that God would be a singular entity in the sky. Like it didn't, yeah, it didn't jive with me. But now it's like now that jives with me and it, everything else jives with me too. But yes. yeah, I think I bought my first book on witchcraft when I was like in third grade, second grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
And even in that, I remember, you know, reading like all the steps that you had to do. And it all seemed very impossible, especially as a third grader. It's like, this is not really feasible for my tiny person. (laughs) But it got me started down that path of thinking about like, well, what would I do in this situation, which is also a very like chaos magic principle of like, just feel into the moment and like do what's authentic to you in that moment. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And that's just like, like just tapping into that aliveness of the now, I think is also just a fantastic place to start always. I'm trying to get back into that space right now because I just feel so drained from doing this big upheaval of my life and coming back down to this place that I mean is so thick and muddy and LA is a vortex. Well, it's interesting. So the, the final thing I'll say is that I'm starting to think about apps, like apps, like the pattern where these, you are, you do have these sort of communities of people who are talking for those who don't know what the pattern is. It's sort of, someone sent it to me and was like, what is this? It's so accurate. This, this is crazy. What is this? Tell me. And I looked at it and I'm like, this is astrology. They're just generally not saying it's astrology, but it's (laughs) yeah. Right. Like it was very funny because they don't use. Also, here's a a quick question that I asked for you in this moment is um, what I feel like they're only using long-term influences. Yes. They're They're only using using long-term, long-term influences and moon. It feels like all that they're doing. Yeah. It's lunar and outer transits. It's exactly what they're doing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you for confirming my suspicion. (laughs) I read it and was, I read it for a while. I was like, yep, this is what's happening. It's a little bit like, um, uh, co-star, you know, I mean, co-star is different. It it does inner and outer, but, uh, it still has those. The best thing. yeah. Yeah. The best thing about the pattern is being able to match yourself with celebrities. Ah, yeah, that's totally. the best thing. And you know who my soulmate is? Oh my God, please, please do tell. Which tell. I have run, I have run the pattern for like hundreds of match. I've only seen one soulmate match and it was me and Eminem. <laughs> oh my God, Slim Shady. Oh my so God. Eminem, if you're listening, Eminem. I've loved you for a long time. <laughs> yes, him and his problematic ways. What slim, slim. I love that. Okay, Eminem, if you're listening, he probably is. He's like, What? Oh, I got my soulmate. Yeah, um, Marshall Mathers. <laughs> Marshall Mathers. Madison luck- Mathers. Madison Mathers. <laughs> How Marshall- adorable. Madison Marshall Mathers. She was like, I'll take the first and the last. Thank you very much. We're soulmates. Mm. Uh I'm just curious. I'm gonna dr- drop this and then we're gonna have to hop off. But the the thing that I'm like with the pattern, I'm like what if we start to create these hybridized spaces where people can go to, you know, like I think about Kanye West, like he has his Sunday sermon, which he's, he does. And I've been to here in LA and you know, okay. I'm not going to say anything about it, but like, what if we have something that's more like you have hybridized experiences where there are these apps that are people talking about some people like coming out. I feel like it's less cool at this point. It's more radical to come out as believing in God than it is to come out as queer. Like, it's like it's fine to come out as queer now which it wasn't for me when I was doing it and now it's like just people are like secretly telling me hey like I'm hungry for spirituality and I I think I believe in God like I think I have people being afraid to tell me these things and I'm like okay so we need to create systems and structures they can be hybridized they do not need to be hopefully dogmatic that you know 
there can be leaders, but it doesn't have to be this like Trumpian level leadership or even like celebrity level leadership. And I don't know how realistic I'm being, but I'm really hoping that it can be more horizontal. But that's yeah. what I'm, that's what I'm starting to think about is like, how do yeah. my, my utopian vision is like, what if instead of waking up every day and everyone's scrolling on Instagram, what if people are scrolling on an app where they're having deep conversations about spirituality and God and having deep conversations about ancient texts and tomes. And, and like, I know that that's just me being like a total Pisces over here, but I'm like, that would be our level of consciousness. Your Yogi who's like third, 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 that's the third. I'm talking about that third. That's like, let's wake up and scroll and talk about some real interesting things. But so much yeah. else has to be in place for that. But that's that's where I'm starting to think about and starting to Well, go. I actually I I found a I felt a really clear answer come through just now mm. when you said something and it made me like something that functions like the pattern but is a space where people could be talking about stuff would be like if there's a theme, if there's a if every day starts with a theme that's yes. generated like past midnight, any point past midnight, there's a new theme that's generated, like a question style thing for the day. And then it just becomes like message board style, like kind of like Twitter feeder, or, or maybe it's visual and it's people doing posts, like video posts about their response to this prompt. Mm -hmm. Like that could be an interesting approach to it. But yeah, it's like, it's also like a, um, like, AA is kind of like the dream setup for like a new religious organization because it's it's like you said it's horizontal like yeah. there's a lot about AA that I really appreciate and have a lot of respect for. Yes. Also the Quaker Church. Quaker Church is a great I've heard this. I've heard this from other people as well. Yes. Oh, it's adorable. It's just it's there's an expansive adorable. and spacious quality, which I think that Gen Z and millennials need a lot of spaciousness because we're not as as readily uh, excited by being like, oh, you're going to tell me what to do. Um, and the internet is is like literally an endless expanse. So how do you sort of hybridize and allow for there to be this endless sense of endlessness, Pisces, endlessness, or or spaciousness for all types of people to come together? and also still be having ceremony and ritual. That's the other thing I'm like, I still need things in person because the body is yeah. like, we are in a body. The whole idea of the metaverse like throws me and my Taurus partner off. Cause she's like, yo, what? Like I, I'm going to be with a headset and I get, and my body's going to be sort of stationary and docile. Like that is not I also don't think that's the answer yet until we are like literally inside the machine. That's not the answer yet. Yeah. So these are all just, we just raised a bunch of questions for folks to think about. Uh, thank yeah. you, Madison. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Los Angeles. Everyone send Madison some very good vibes. This is eclipse season. We are actually talking days before the first eclipse on the 30th, which is Saturday. It has a lot to do with real estate, moving, housing, uh, physical resources for everybody, um, partnerships, especially if anyone is a Taurus, Scorpio, Leo, or Aquarius, this is really big for you. Or if you have sensitive points therein, Madison, I know you have sensitive points all up in that. And thank you for just being present as your, as your life is changing massively. Thank you for spending time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I mean, thank you. We are going to check out now from the world of Rex uh, to tune in to the eclipse this week. Everyone stay very safe. 
uh, keep calm, cool, and collected amidst these wild energies that are happening right now. And know that we're not going to have all the answers right now, and that is perfectly okay. I want to say a phrase that I had to explain to my mother, who's Spanish, just yesterday, which is, let go and let God. Let go and let God right now, y'all. Okay, we'll catch you next week on The World of Rex. I love each and every one of you, and strap in for the ride. It's eclipse season. Bye.